Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Whose Race Is It Anyway? Where the rules are made up and the positions don't matter. That title supplied on Twitter by Neil. A close runner-up was Alex who said Liberty Media have announced a new red flag sponsor and an honourable mention for Wu-Tang Flan who suggested with a gladiator gif Are you not entertained? I'm your host Richard Reddy but my friends call me Spanners so... Let's be friends. Welcome to our Australian Grand Prix race review. Well, that was emotional, wasn't it? A massively overcomplicated end of race procedure caused by this dogged and almost cultish allergy to finishing naturally under the safety car. They've tried rushing through a safety car period by skimping on the restart procedure. They've tried red flagging for two laps and having a Thunderdome style sprint. Twice now, they've tried that. They've tried counting back after the carnage caused by that sprint red flag. And they've also resisted doing a count back, even when there has been an abhorrent interpretation of the restart procedure, all on the altar of never finishing under the safety car. The end of a Grand Prix does not always need to be an exciting Hollywood ending. In fact, it would be deeply unsatisfying if it was. But you and I, We have power in this sport. We know that F1 does monitor what the fans and the media say. And we know that the media is also influenced by what we say. We can, as a fan base, stop calling for this drama. We can stop calling for the desperate need for F1 to be the sporting equivalent of some Saturday night game show with an exciting and random end. We don't have to say, red flag, come on down. The price is right. Stop calling for excitement at all costs and value something about this actual sport this race has shown that the emperor is butt naked to some extent please just try enjoying this sport for what it is we need to be vocal about defending 
that just pure beauty of 10 teams going out there in an earnest sporting manner based on basic sporting principles. And I don't want to gatekeep. Enjoy what you enjoy. If what you enjoy is sprints and red flags, I can't tell you that that's wrong. But if we keep going down this road, we're going to lose so much of what I enjoy about F1. And those that call F1 boring and demanded change are loud and vocal. We can counteract that, right? And and I'm saying we because I'm not alone, am I? I'm not alone in knowing that sometimes the race isn't going to bang. I know that every race isn't going to be a smashing, rip-roaring Hollywood ending. Sometimes you need the ordinary to make the special seem special. The, the sweet is never as sweet without the sour. And I know the sour. You can do whatever you want with your life. You can watch what you want. You can enjoy what you want. But one day that investment will come to harvest and we'll have a sport very different to the one I love. It's the sour and the sweet. And I know the sour, which makes me appreciate the sweet. So today I'll be asking, is George Russell up for top level competition? I think the signs are there. Have Ferrari talked themselves out of any meaningful success? Was Verstappen's performance today his worst race for a long time, despite a victory? And has the motortainment movement finally crossed the Rubicon? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going fine. I'm just going to say, if all the races are going to be that long in Australia, could we please start them a little bit earlier? Or later. No, you've forgotten about the brave UK audience that woke up slightly early. Unlike you, I am not willing to brave Uncle Steve's wrath, so <laughs> I would go for earlier. Okay, well, Night Race is being muted, but let's go to our UK heroes. What time did you get up, Alex Jeansy Van Jean? Uh, I woke up at four-ish, then half past five. Yeah, I also set an alarm for five, ignored that, and eventually woke up at ten to five, like uh, ten to six, sorry, like everyone else. And we're also joined yep. by YouTube streamer Scott Stuffy Tuffy. How's it going, Scott? Hey, Spanners. Thanks, buddy. Uh, was I watching F1 or was I watching NASCAR today? Yeah, there I was... I got a little bit confused. And this is where I think we're going to start, Matt. This is our big ticket item. We have to get it out of the way. It is the, what you've coined, intersportment. But definitely, entertainment has kind of overtaken today. Am, am I wrong? Was my rant too ranty and weird? Uh, well, yes, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. <laughs> okay. I mean, sports entertainment, we could call it many different things here. But the fact of the matter is, it's becoming increasingly obvious that for reasons, we're seeing what I would describe based on how things have been done in the past as an increasing manipulation of safety protocols for the purposes of racing. And I, for one, think that's problematic, although you might be surprised at my solution, which I think we'll get to later on. I think what we really need to ask, though, first is what on earth is is the the whole safety procedure for, Alex? And, I, I, you know, I, I was sat there a, a couple of years ago saying that safety cars would become more frequent because they were using it for the entertainment. I warned that using a red flag instead of a late safety car would become race director crack because they would do it and then their paymasters would be happy. Like, but today, I think we experienced an abuse of the red flag procedure purely to manufacture an ending. It's slowly crept up on us, though, hasn't it? 
they just all of a sudden started feeding them in and feeding them yeah. in. And all of a sudden, we've got to today and gone, what the hell's going <laughs> what on? Was that? Why, is, why is everything a red flag in a safety car? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I think there's a mixture of things. Yes, they like to bring the cars back together, especially when there is one particular car running off at the front of the field. Um, but also, I think they don't want to lose laps during the race. Mm. So, for example, the first safety car that ended up being the red flag with Albon, there was lots of stuff on the track. And Kyle Power was saying in our chat, being an ex um, Marshall himself, um, he was talking about the fact that they could have cleaned that up very, very quickly. But I still think to clean that up on a live circuit would have taken 10 laps. And I, Which one? Which one, Alex? To be clear. The first one. The, the first, first one. one. Yeah, the first one, and because and there was gravel everywhere. So there like was. with a and team of, of Marshalls. Car and, and, yeah. the, and the barrier yeah. was slightly damaged. So for me, it's a case of I would rather see them come into the pits, mill about and talk to their engineers for 10 minutes than... <laughs> have them lose 10 yeah. laps. No, I, I, I agree with that. And, and and I think no one's really arguing with that one. With, with that m- amount of gravel, and you can see, right, okay, obviously you need 10 derricks in the Marshall Post with broomsticks. You may as well get that that sorted. I think it's the second one that we're talking about as the entertainment one. But what it did do was completely screw the strategy for the whole race. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, I know Matt's going to want to get in on this in a second, but for me... It's a real conundrum because you can either not red flag it um, and you save the people who've had a pit stop. Oh, sorry, you can red flag it and so you change the rules and they can't change tires once yeah. the, once it's red flagged yeah. and you screw the people who didn't stop or you keep it as it is and you screw the people who did stop. So who do you want to screw, Spanish? Uh Scott, Stuffy, Tuffy. No, you're not the person I want to screw, Scott. I'm asking your opinions <laughs> on, on these. I think I think my, my main thing here is, you know, what is the purpose of the red flag? And we saw it with the Albon one. That feels that feels reasonable. But how have we not got around to sorting out the, the tyre tactics and, and getting rid of the free tyre choice? Uh, I actually just want to disagree. I think I'm on my own here. I actually want to disagree with all of you. I think <gasps> that red flag was unjust, really. Oh, the Albon think, one. Yeah, I think. And a number of other racing drivers I've seen online have commented the same thing. But how is it that that required a red flag to clear up. Um, I understand that exam, but they probably wanted to check the barrier, but there's, there's not enough gravel there really that's spread all the way down the track that warrants that red flag. In my opinion, there's, there's nothing that, I mean, if you saw the amount of marshals, we only saw a little bit, Mm. but if you saw the amount of marshals that were there sweeping it up, I mean, wow. Um, Maybe it's because of the ground effect. Now they're worried about the teams are worried Mm. about these cars getting damaged underneath, but uh, yeah, red flags, ultimately, they're, they're there for safety. That's that's what they should be there for. It should be there for worst-case scenarios when they need to properly close a live track. But it feels like there's a bit of an abuse being used. And as Alex said, it's crept up on us. I mean, Boiling I don't know. I'd love to know what the specific stat is, but how many red flags have we had in the last... How many, I mean, ha, in the, yeah. since Liberty Media has taken over, yeah. how many red flags have we seen compared to previous ownership? And I would love, I would love the safety car stats as well, Matt. Like full safety car VSCs, and and like we said, it can become addictive. No one here is against safety, um, but I think what we're really arguing is that the second one was was less necessary than the first one. Well, I'm actually on Scott's side here. I think the first one was entirely unnecessary. If your qualification here is the track needs to be cleaned up and the car needs to be moved. That could have been done and has been done in the past frequently under the safety car. So this is going to my 
grand unified theory of everything here that we're working towards, unbeknownst to you in this show. But the second one was was even more. And and again, Scott, you put your finger right on it. The problem is if you see Albin's accident and then the FIA tells you that they need to red flag it to clean it up, anyone who's been a marshal, anyone who's watched the sport a long time knows that that's simply not accurate. Or if it is accurate, there's something they're absolutely not telling us about it. They're being so untransparent, so opaque that that you have the sense that this procedure is being abused. And this is where all of this starts, in my opinion. Stuffy. Yeah. And the thing is, as well, is that there, we always want, it's impossible to make decisions instantly. They need to assess the information that gets relayed to them from marshals on the side of the track and, uh, and all the safety procedures that come into place. But that's when, uh, which I'm sure we're going to touch on now is is the red flag rule in regards to them being able to tire change and, and nullify the race and and nullify all the hard work of other drivers who have gained positions and then I mean realistically Mercedes once again did they really expect their the red flag to come out there um, they maybe took a risky decision to yeah. hit George Russell from the lead but I think most most fans would, and most people on the pit pit wall would be thinking, no, that's going to be a safety car yeah. for X amount of laps. Yeah, so definitely that that does seem to be what Mercedes thought. And um, so we may be surprised with that. But I think really, you know, we will get to the race proper at some point, Matt. But the key issue for me here is that Magnussen had a blown tyre. Oh, and interestingly, Alex, we, we thought he hit the wall, but you were insisting that he hadn't hit the wall. And I think you you were right. On the very first replay they showed, it was over his right his right rear wheel, and it very much looked like to me that it blew as he hit that rumble strip. However, there's a tweet floating around or a comment floating around that um, he'd been hitting that curb a lot during mm. the race, and maybe it was resonance, consistent resonance through that um, curb and that rumble strip, rumble strip that made the tire fail. But he didn't hit the wall due to sunlight. Ah. Reason number 753 to listen to our podcast is we have people everywhere. And one of our patrons was at turn two with video and watching. And that's Tony Keeler said absolutely that Magnuson was going wider, hitting the strips on the far side of the curb and that the tire blew before he hit the wall. And slightly more concerning, a big chunk of his rim actually wound up on the other side of the catch fence. Ooh. No one was hurt. Someone got a very cool souvenir. But <laughs> yeah, just another thing to watch out for. See, now, I still don't put that blame at KMAG unless there is radio evidence of them telling him to stay off the curbs. Because if if he's using the curb and, it's, and for him it's fine, then and the team don't think it's fine, it's the team's responsibility to tell him to get off the curbs. Like we hear all the time of teams telling drivers mm, to stay yeah. off the curbs. Because if they said to him, we've got, we're have got we at risk on the rig, you need to stay off the curbs, there's no way he's hitting those curbs. So I don't put any blame on, on Mag- No, no, no. But it's just interesting that, that, that there was a car that was sitting there taking those risks for whatever reason. Uh, and it was so dramatic because we, we've not seen a tyre blow out like that probably since... Baku 2021. Scott? Yeah, it all happened very quickly. Uh, There was the initial comments from Jensen Button on Sky TV stating that that 
that tires the mark on the tire looks like it's a lot higher on the wall than it than it should be which indicated it, it blew before um he hit the wall and obviously that's been confirmed by guys who are trackside but the the the, the metal shavings or, or from the wheel itself is is the debris that supposedly was so far across the track which which is what brought out the the red flag again um and yeah it's just seemed mm. uh, unnecessary and an excuse to bring out what would be uh, a grandiose finish rather than under a safety car yeah and this is it uh, daniel in our live patron chat says would the album flag have been controversial if it had been the only one no i don't think we'd have thought twice about it so i'm going to just do this stated premise i don't think anyone is arguing with me here in that the the kevin magnuson incident didn't really ordinarily require a red flag and if there's someone who thinks that you know please pipe up now but if that was lap 30 he's pulled over to the side of the road he would be recovered in a normal fashion there was a tire on track which could have been recovered under the safety car we'd have got going in a few laps that that feels like historically the kind of event that as standard would be dealt with under a safety car so alex i am just going to say it out loud Faced with the prospect of finishing under the safety car, the race directors, under some broad guidance from F1 and Liberty Media, did not want to finish under a safety car and contrived to give us a disastrous two-lap sprint, which ended up in finishing under the safety car anyway. Am I lying? Well, we are very aware that after Spa 2021, they do not want to finish under safety car again. Um but that's I'm, a different thing. Right, I'm just going to stop it right there because that is such a different scenario. That was where there was no race to be had because of the weather and they went out, did some Mickey Mouse laps and awarded full points. Surely that's not the same as a normal safety car finish scenario. They didn't have to go out. They did it to make points happen mm. and to um, make sure that um, the fans didn't have to pay any money. <laughs> Okay. Didn't have, sorry, could, Allegedly. Sorry, couldn't, couldn't get, get a, a refund. refund. Yeah. Couldn't get a refund. But I mean, to be honest, when all of a sudden you see K Meg's car hobbling along the track, I've got to give props to Jensen Button. He instantly called it as that's the strike against the wall. Um I thought I actually thought Jensen Button was brilliant this weekend. <laughs> I thought he was really, really good on yep. comms. Um he's generally very, very good at that, as long as Sky aren't just grotesquely vomiting love on him for his odd race that he won. Did you know he won in Canada when it was wet that one time? Yeah, and yeah. did you know that he went off the track after putting on wet tyres during an uh, Austrian, Australian Grand Prix and won the race because everyone just saw him go off the circuit? Anyway, um, but for me, when you've had a car explode into a wall like that and there is a wheel in the middle of the circuit, I instantly saw it and thought red flag. But have I been conditioned Possibly. to expect a red flag <laughs> from those situations? Stuffy. Uh, just going back to your point about Spa, I actually think the last time a race finished under the red flag, was it last year at Monza when Daniel Ricciardo broke down? No, that was 21. That's the one I meant. Was it 21? Okay. 21, one yes. where Daniel Ricciardo won and, and, and McLaren got a 1-2. No, because no, then it was the year after. It was, yeah, because Nick DeVries got his um, eighth position. So it was last year and Stefano De Micali actually came out and said, we need to look into this. We can't have this finishing under a safety car again. So this is quite fresh in Liberty Media and F1's mm -hmm. minds. But Alex, I think you're right. I, let's If that accident of Magnussen's was earlier on in the race, yeah. haven't we pretty much seen live race yeah, circuits yeah, of course with, we have. with more debris out yeah, on yeah, track yeah. than supposedly what was 
on track at the time with Magnus Sendup. The metal shards, I think, was really why they supposedly stopped for a red flag, not the actual tire carcass itself. So, wow. yeah, it's just... Stuffy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my thing that they did it to make sure they didn't have a, a safety car ending. And uh, and I will maintain that that has been to the overall detriment of the sport map because the chaos that we saw, which we're going to discuss now in a game of whose fault is it? The chaos that we saw was not better than just naturally finishing after a safety car. Oh, I would agree with you. And the larger point here being, and I'm going to defend the FIA and F1 slightly before Good. we talk about whose fault it exactly was is that I think fundamentally the FIA have said, how can we get the most racing laps when we have incidents like this? And they've decided to use red flags to keep us from watching 30 laps of a safety car while every last piece of gravel gets picked up by a marshal. I actually don't have a problem with that, except for the current safety uh, red flag rules are designed only for safety, not for competition. And as we've mentioned, the tire rule, the fixing your car rules need to be updated and it needs to have a different name so they don't have to lie to us about cleaning up gravel off of a track anytime they want to use it. They should just say the safety car period will be too long. We're going to bring everyone into the pit lane. Composition flag. 10 minutes. Just say right back out we go. And that way you get more racing laps, which admittedly we as Mm. spectators want, but there's no... There's total transparency about what's happening. And I think that's the big issue. And it's a trust issue. And FIA and F1 need to be careful because that's the one thing you don't want to break. We are going to cover the actual race as it panned out because there were some fascinating dynamics between their Mercedes teammates, some deeply troubling things happening at Ferrari and, of course, Red Bull and Aston Martin very much in the mix there as well. But first, I want to start backwards. So let's start at the end and play my favourite game. Whose fault is it? Oh my goodness. After a very, very well-behaved Bahrain Grand Prix and Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, we have witnessed some of the lowest driving standards of a Formula One race, possibly since that spa race in the 90s where it was wet and 14 cars crashed and they all had to go back to the T-car. We saw 16 drivers grid up on cold tyres from a standing start with two laps to go, and apparently with nothing to lose. Win or bin was the moniker of their tactics tattooed on all their forearms. We saw some horrendous driving, and like in my marriage, we never just have a no-blame situation. It must always be someone's fault. So let's play Whose Fault Is It? Let's start with one of the the low-key ones, Stuffy. Uh, The American rookie... Logan Sargent into DeFries. Was it DeFries's fault for just being in the way? Of course it is. <laughs> don't, don't you know that Logan Sargent was just admiring the grandstands and <laughs> forgot he was in an F1 race? It did what look like that. Was, it did look like what, he just forgot. What was he doing? He, he actually looked like he was turning for the apex before the braking zone and then actually then turned into Nick DeVries. And I mean, Nick DeVries didn't have a good day at the, day at the office this weekend, but... Oh my God, Logan Sargent. Yeah, just, I don't know how he's escaped a penalty. I don't know how. Yeah. I obviously understand Carlos Sainz, which I'm sure we'll touch on, but <laughs> how is Logan Sargent completely rear ending De Vries? Um, just completely get away of, without a penalty there. Um, yeah, bizarre from him because yeah. he's actually been quite impressive in yeah, the first yeah, two yeah. races, I think. So, yeah, uh, an odd one. I know what happened to Logan Sargent. 
His VR failed going into turn one. <laughs> As he was going to turn one, his VR blacks out, and he just smacks into the back of um, back of the freeze. But um, as as Scott alluded to, that wasn't even the freeze's first instant of the day because he crashed into Walkon earlier on. Um, but yes, no, I there's there's no defense for um, for <laughs> so that's the easiest on one. That one. I think he was probably just I, I, seriously. Actually, probably not happened. He saw all the smoke and carnage over to his right. And was probably distracted and missed his breaking point. Yeah, and also more uh, likely what happened. I'm, I'm sure we could say that the concertina effect was exaggerated because of all the incidents up ahead, and that kind of you know that gets more severe the further back you go. Uh, but I think some of the more interesting ones uh, are up ahead, and and the reason, by the way, I think it wasn't penalised is is interesting in itself because of the incidents we're going to talk about today uh, in this little whose fault is it? It certainly wasn't the mildest. But I think if we go to the most heinous one, I'm going to ask Matt, in your completely unbiased, non-fanboy opinion, in the collision between Esteban Ocon, a driver who you love, admire and defend to the hill, and Pierre Gasly, whose fault do you think that incident was? It was Alonso for turning into signs. <laughs> yeah, that kind of turning into signs. Okay, well, you skipped <laughs> Sorry, ahead a little help. bit. I you couldn't resist. If we're only going to talk about those two, I mean... And I really tried to be neutral as possible about it. But the moment I saw it, it, it was on Gasly. He was re-entering the track. Ocon gave him extra room, and he just drifted all the way across to the other side, not realizing his teammate was there. And I know there are certain people who feel otherwise, and you're welcome to be wrong about this. You're entitled to your opinion. No gatekeeping here, as we say. But uh, <laughs> but But really, if you watch it and if you listen to the commentators describe it and frankly if you look at the body language of the drivers afterwards it's pretty clear that gasly got the blame internally for this and that he's fortunate it was his teammate and not another team that this happened with well stuffy he's very lucky because that was that was it was actually a pretty wild re rejoin it's um like you 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 stream i racing and yeah like that was straight out of a a kind of public eye racing lobby rejoin. It did look like a number of official races or weekly races that I participate in <laughs> on the regular. every single one of your videos, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, quite a few of them. Um, yeah, it was it's one hundred percent Gasly's fault. He massively locked up going into the first corner before Alonso was even touched by signs, uh, which kind of really caused Perez to take avoiding action and then for Logan Sargent to hit. Nick DeVries but if you actually watch the replays the reason why it's totally Gasly's fault is that he's looking in his left-hand mirror he's not even looking he's not expecting anyone to come on his right-hand side and you can't blame Ocon who's got a, who's actually got through the carnage yeah. and has got a much better drive to swoop around the outside it's just Gasly not checking his mirrors and I think that's why Ocon was with the whole scenario of the restart anyway, I think he was a little bit like, eh, yeah, that's a, that's one that he's probably been given a little yeah. bit of a telling off. I uh, bet. And it, I mean, it's a shame for Gasly, Alex, because he, he was having a really good race, but you can't rejoin, go the width of the track and take out your teammate and, and, and not have it be your fault and not expect a bit of a shooing when you get back to the garage. Yeah, so he's gone off and he's come on in the middle, in, in the middle of the corner, in the middle of the circuit, when he probably should have stayed tight to the inside of the track. But the other big error wasn't necessarily also compounding with the fact that he was looking in only one mirror, mm. is he was drifting off to the right-hand side. Now, one thing 
every race driver knows that is if you're slow in a pack you stay as straight as possible you have to be predictable so people don't run into you and he just wandered off to the to the right of the circuit and Ocon just if I want to be critical of Ocon just because Matt's in the room um I don't come on there is another pedal in the car he already lifted Ocon, he already lifted to be fair and Ocon, and Ocon could have got out of it but I don't think Gasly gave him much of a chance. And where Matt talks about um, the body language of the two drivers, Ocon had a wry smile and Gasly looked like he was about to cry. But I think the reason Gasly looked like he was about to cry was he knew he was going to be heading off to the stewards and he has 10 points on his license. But Stuffy, he's got 10 points on his license, completely got away with that. I cannot think of any similar incident that has not been If it wasn't penalized. against his teammate. Why was it doesn't matter? Does it matter when it comes to driving standards, Stuffy, and the points that are meant to protect driving standards? How has he gotten away without any penalty points and and subsequently a race ban? Because Otmar got down on his knees and begged, please, please don't give him a race ban. Because think? if he got a penalty for yeah. this, it would have meant he would have been not able to race in Baku. But yeah, I I don't understand the whole, oh, it's against your teammate. Uh, the first person every driver wants to be is their teammate. So and you get more leeway it, to hit him. <laughs> exactly. What yeah. does it matter? Um, but I think overall, this restart just, I've seen lots of comments saying, you can't deny the driving standards at the restart were shocking. shocking. But uh, I've seen people say these are the best drivers in the world, which arguably they are. But at the end of the day, this is a scenario that a number of them were thinking, I can take an opportunity here to steal some points that were never on the cards for me. Or a podium. Uh, yeah. or a po- Exactly, or a podium. And they kept their foot in it. And that's why we saw the incidents that we did, uh, because guys were thinking, it was pretty much a race to turn three, to be honest, because yes. without no DRS, wherever you were in turn three was more than likely where you was going to finish the race. So that's why the first corner was so essential. Matt? Uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, wanted to get in there um, one more time uh, with the restart. And, and, and I know we're talking about Gasly having a good race. I just felt the need to point out that Alcon, whose strategy got absolutely ruined by the red flag was actually behind his teammate when they pitted him and came from P15 to essentially make it back into the points in a race where overtaking wasn't easy. I think both the Alpines had a good race. And I think one thing that's very interesting is their car overall was pretty quick here. So I'm liking what I'm seeing overall for the team, minus them both being out of the race due to crashing each other. Go on, Alex. Matt took my point. Okay, fair enough. I- uh- I'll just give some, I will hop on Matt's hype there of Ocon because he did arguably make one of the best overtakes of the day uh, on Oscar Piastri through the kink. I can't remember what turns they are, but it was uh, it was very impressive, them going side by side through there and him swooping around the outside. So yeah, the Alpines did look impressive today and it just the fact of seeing both of them not finish isn't really that either of them deserve because they both had good days. Yeah, so I just want to jump in real quick because I've now remembered the point I actually wanted to make, which is that they've changed the penalty points. And I think one big reason, although he would never admit it, that Gasly didn't get penalized today is because a lot of his penalty points were for things they're not giving penalty points for anymore. I just wanted to mention that. What this start showed was it gave the 
the TV, the sports entertainment that they wanted, which is give drivers yeah. the desperation yeah. of it two works. laps to make yeah. up time. And, you know, people will break a little bit later to try and make that extra move onto the inside. But you'd think they'd learn. We often have collisions on this track at that first section of track. You'd think they learn, but Red Mist settles in. I can make up an extra couple of points. To be fair, the biggest winners from all of this was McLaren because McLaren have jumped to fifth in the Constructors' Championship. Red Mist, you say. Like Carlos Sainz, the remaining Ferrari on track goes in there and takes out the coveted and protected and much-loved Fernando Alonso. How dare he smite him? He gets 12 penalty points straight away. Uh, it, it was a harsh penalty. I've, I've never seen someone go through the seven stages of grief so quickly, get but get stuck on bargaining so absolutely as Carlos Sainz did. It was one of the most... Like, if you're the TV director, at some point you've got to stop broadcasting that because Sainz just seemed broken. He seemed distraught. And whilst I, I do think it's a little bit of a harsh penalty, I think that... If Alonso was looking to his right, he could have used a little bit more room on his left and, and allowed that a little bit more. But it is on Carlos Sainz to not hit the car on the outside. So so I see why it could be a penalty. But the, the, the result of that penalty was to drop him all the way out of the points. If you're the TV director, at some point with that pleading, you just have to stop broadcasting it just for the protection of those, those drivers. Uh, Alex, it was, it was desperate stuff. Uh, I, I still feel like that penalty, whilst it was his fault, I feel like it was it was harsh. Now, you kind of briefly mentioned that Alonso could maybe avoid it. Now, we all know here how how much I how much I love Fernando Alonso. No, no, um, uh, Alonso is is it's the opposite of that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, unfortunately, I can't put anything on Alonso to even avoid that because he wouldn't have even seen it coming. If you watch the the amount that he doesn't, that science doesn't decelerate into that corner compared to everybody else, uh, he misses. But he was taking an opportunity. He, he either missed the breaking point or chanced it on cold tires and just ran into the back of Alonso. To be fair, every single person that ended up going off after that safety car is science's fault. So I originally said the penalty that science got, he shouldn't have got because they rolled everything back readjusted the positions mm. so he shouldn't have got the penalty however considering the carnage that he caused he had to be given a penalty for that and not finishing in the points is probably justified i don't know what to do here there's two things that i have to fix with what alex just said fix them both all right fine let's start with alonzo alonzo had room available to him that he chose not to use he when wouldn't he have turned. seen him coming yeah I agree. If he his rear of his car, he wouldn't have seen him coming. And, and Alonso, an inexperienced junior racer <laughs> with no experience of, of cars doing one. like understeering through the first turn on cold tires. Yeah, like he could, like this is my point. Like if you look at him, but he didn't follow in Hamilton's wheel tracks, for example. He was a good scooch over to the right hand side. And, you know, it's lap one, it's turn one, it's cold tires, Alex. Are you really going to make me defend Fernando Alonso? Yes, I want to hear Please, it. Please, I don't <laughs> want to. But no, Alonso would have firmly had his eyes on Lewis Hamilton and not be looking out the back of his helmet to see a car that isn't stopping in time um, for turn one. I, I, you, you cannot put any modicum of blame on Fernando Alonso, however much I'd like to find a way to blame Fernando. Stuffy. Yeah, just a quick one. Um, 
Alonso, actually, if you look at it back, I think he slightly got a better exit than Hamilton. So he was looking... The reason he, yeah. he could have had more room on the left, which I agree with, but the reason he didn't is because he's already looking at yes. that swoop yes. around yes, Hamilton. Right. Yeah. But, of course, Sainz has come in a little bit too hot. He hasn't locked up the wheels, but he's gone in a little bit too hot. And in that split moment, probably thinks Alonso's going to take the normal racing line. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. didn't happen. Uh, the, the issue there is that I actually disagree with you, Alex. I don't think Sainz caused all of that. If you actually look at it, Gasly's the one who causes it because he caused the smoke from the big lockup, which is why Logan went into the back of the Vries, if, as per your actual reasoning earlier. And uh, he caused the crash with Ocon. He actually, the others actually get rounds quite easily because mm-hmm. Alonso just slides or spins off out of everyone's path. So... I, I, while I understand the move itself in in particular scenarios does warrant a penalty, the fact of it they've stated Gasly hasn't got a penalty because yeah, it's a first crazy. incident. Logan Sargent yeah. hasn't got a penalty. They haven't Preach. even acknowledged it. And then they've stayed, they did state in their reasoning, oh, well, normally we do give leniency on the first lap, but... He wasn't the overall cause of that incident. Signs actually got away with it quite clearly. And I I totally understand why Signs is is crying. And him in the interviews afterwards with his Mourinho moment, I'd rather not speak. Yeah. I'd rather not say anything. Was <laughs> but you forget was brilliant Scott, and justified. You forget he hit Alonso. Well, <laughs> Alonso that. is the poster boy for Formula One. Well and maybe hurt Fernando's feelings. Okay. Um I think we'll and, let Spanners uh, have the next word on this I one. I think you're right. But I think you're right, Alex. I think Fernando Alonso is the man of the moment and he's really good for F1's p- publicity and he's, he's shaking it up, Aston Martin, going to the grid, a former world champion back up there fighting. I honestly think it's harder to give a penalty to Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin right now for that reason. It's the Man United effect. It's the Michael Jordan effect. I'm not going to dwell on this. All I'm going to say is let's just keep an eye on this throughout the season and let's see how many penalty decisions, rulings go in Alonso's favour because the next thing that upset me was the whole way the countback was sorted out. That after all that crashing, you had Yuki Tsunoda popping up into fourth place. Perez had lost positions. Alonso was back in P11. And they just did a full redo and a do-over, Scott. And I don't understand why none of that stuff that happened is, is, is acknowledged anymore. It's all gone. None of that happened except for the cars that retired. And I just don't feel like you can undo racing action. And if it was the end of the race and there was a count back, there's precedent for that. But just to kind of go, nah, let's do a do over. Everybody go back to where they were. That sucked for me. Yeah, it was it was also with how long it took him to make that decision and inform everyone as well. Everyone was waiting around forever. Uh, the last five six laps felt like they took an hour to complete. I think they did. Everyone, yeah, because everyone was just waiting for them to, to make a decision. They, they didn't even, what makes me, what really riles me up about these, these scenarios we've seen is that they don't seem to have planned scenarios in place. They don't, I mean, maybe, maybe they do, and it's difficult to plan for every They're hiding it very well outcome. if they do. Yeah, it just, even so, you'd be able to take elements from different scenarios and make an informed decision, especially a lot quicker than they have. But I think, I mean, the a co- comments from Alonso after the race of uh, 
saying Lewis Hamilton defended like a champion. He raced like a champion after slating him <laughs> and making more digs in the week. I think just indicates he's a smart man, Alonso, and just indicates how lucky he knows he probably is with that countback decision because yeah. otherwise he would have finished outside the points. But it's, I think overall it's the right decision because they couldn't quite pinpoint they didn't get through the first sector, I think it was. Mm. And there was the mini sectors. And I actually think De Vries and Logan Sargent, because they crashed off into the gravel, actually made it very difficult for them to identify where everyone was at the end of the first mini sector, which was kind of the only relevant point that they had. So they just had to go back to the start line, which is, yeah, very confusing for everyone. Jeansy, they don't do it on mini sectors. They do it based on the, the big first one. sector. Yeah. And by the time the red flag was thrown, not even Max had got to the first sector yet, had got to the end of the first sector yet. So Fair he sense. couldn't do anything about it. And I feel like what they should have, they, 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 as, as far as I'm concerned, they had two options, which is roll the laps back and put them back in the order that they were before the race started, or don't roll it back and keep the order that they entered the pits in. Yeah, or the order that they would have lined up behind the safety car for. And, and that would, to me, would have, yeah, yeah, me, that for me would have kept that racing alive because it, it's almost like, well, you go, okay, well, all that racing you did in the first couple of laps, you know, doesn't count because we're, we're resetting it. So you, you kind of, you can go into that uh, red flag restart map with just more like abandon. Because you can be Lance Stroll and you can stuff it all by yourself after gaining four laps and then just go straight on in turn three. And then you get a redo. Both Aston Martins get a do-over. Like, <sighs> So, first of all, Fernando Alonso has gone and joined a team that has probably more sway or as much sway as either Mercedes or Red Bull do yeah. um, and are being protected because they are seen as the next big team to come through and challenge Yeah. Um, for the top, so maybe they're being protected. So to see Alonso go spinning and then Lance Stroll just drive off the circuit. I mean, it's not even like he went off in a glory thing of in, in glory. It was so unnecessary. Smoke it was locking so... up and flying off into the gravel. He just drove slowly off the track. <laughs> maybe his hand still hurts, uh, Matt. Uh, and it certainly has nothing to do with the fact that the Saudis are big sponsors of Aston and also of Formula One as a whole. I'm sure that has nothing to do with that whatsoever, but I digress. The problem for the FIA is that GPS is inadequate to the task of determining where the drivers are. They need a timing loop. And as Haas pointed out, they had one, the second safety car line, and they filed a protest, which was accepted, did Haas, about that. And upon looking at it, the stewards essentially said the following thing. Well, you know what? You've got a real point here. But given the time constraints and given the wording in the regulations, which is the last place all the positions can definitively been, be known, the race directors under that time constraint made a reasonable decision to use that data and therefore we are disallowing your protest. So they actually got it right here, annoyingly enough for almost everybody who wanted something different to happen. Let's be honest, Haas only protested because they wanted to get Hulkenberg his first podium. Because if the rollback didn't happen, happen. <laughs> he would have, and Carlos Sainz's penalty, he would have finished third. But Hulkenberg, would he have wanted it that way? Uh, probably yes. Yeah, yeah, I think he'd have taken <laughs> After all that he's been through, yes, yeah. he absolutely wants it. However, I believe this whole safety car line or 
Sector 1 stuff is rubbish. They have live trackers on the cars. They know where the cars are at every single second of the race unless it's first practice and it all falls down and they don't know where anybody is. But they know where the drivers are. So they could just stop it, pause it and go, right, this is where everybody was. Off you go. Matt, shaking your head. Yeah, well, and I've mentioned this in chat elsewhere. I actually was privileged to see uh, an adjudication of a photo finish in a bike race back in the day. And what I can tell you is the GPS is not adequate for separating cars by a thousandth of a second. And neither is the video the circuit has. And in fact, the GPS is so bad that the reason we had the safety car in Saudi Arabia last week is they couldn't find Lance Stroll on the circuit with all of the video they had available. It's got to be the timing loops. Those are the only accurate representations of the order of the cars. They have a timing loop every 200 meters with the mini, with the mini sectors. Yeah. So they, they know where say. everybody is every 200 meters. My main concern with all of this, though, is it is open to abuse and it is open to a bias because you can throw a red flag straight away what's the purpose of a red flag a safety car and full course yellows it's to make sure that cars aren't going past the scene of an accident fast so all of those incidents happened into into turn one turn two and then stroll in sympathy drove off at turn three uh, and, and parked it but by the time you needed to make a decision everyone's gone past all of those incident points so you do a full double waved yellow a full course yellow and everything's safe you call a red flag immediately, you can dictate the the drivers who've lost out immediately, like Alonso, will get their place back by saying, well, we red flagged it immediately, therefore we have to roll it back. But you could just as easily do a full course yellow, slow down. Then after sector one, you could say, okay, safety car, so that at least once they get back around, we have the option to drive through the incidents under the safety car. And then you could even wait all the way till sector two before calling the red flag and say, everyone pit red flag and those different decisions matt will result in very very different outcomes one has sonoda fifth one has holkenberg near the podium one has alonso p11 one has alonso p3 so it's open to a little bit of faff it is but having said that i will say of the three red flags in the race which is by the way a record for formula one the only one that was immediately and correctly justified was the one that was caused by the Alpine incident. That was a clear red flag from the off, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the only one that really should have happened, which, of course, without the others, we wouldn't have had that happen. So, I mean, uh, oh, no, no, this had to be this had to be a red flag. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. If anything was a red flag. Exactly. Right? Incident was a red flag. So I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying you don't have to call a red flag straight away because full course yellow does the job to start with safety car then also gives you more options and then you can choose to red flag or not but the timing of that decision tree changes the result massively which is why it needs to be its own thing and transparent about how these decisions are going to be made and you know given past precedent silverstone and stuff like that it was it was within the boundaries of what one might expect as disappointing as it was to the many fans of the drivers who lost out On to the racing action. The first driver to completely stuff it in this year's Australian Grand Prix was Charles Leclerc in an incident with Lance Stroll. But whose fault was it? Van Jean. Alex Jean's Van Jean. Who? who? Charles Leclerc. And 
it's hard for me to say it's Charles Leclerc because, again, it's against Lance Stroll, which means I have to defend <laughs> hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa. another driver that La- I don't like. Lance Stroll was behind by the time they made contact. Hit the rear of... Charles just came across. Oh, okay. Charles just came across. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not much more in it. And obviously, whenever there is an incident involving... Um, Lance Stroll. Yeah, me too, me I too. always want to blame Lance Stroll. Yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying my best, but you're getting in my way. Stuffy, Stroll was from behind and just, just hit Leclerc. Stro- Stroll, Stroll with those mirrors again, right? 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 I I initially thought that was the case because I thought he, he does move over ever so slightly to the middle of the track. But after watching the replays, yeah, Charles is trying to sweep around the outside mm. and he just turns in a touch too early. Uh, but Charles Leclerc, he looks a broken man. He looked desperate, the didn't he? It was desperate. He looks like he doesn't want to be, he wants to be anywhere but in that Ferrari at the moment. And I mean, there's even, could he have tried a bit harder to get that car out of the gravel? It looked like he, he kind of spot, put his foot down on the throttle and just went, nah, it's done. I don't even want to bother. I'm going to be at the back of the grid and I just don't want to be here this afternoon. Stuffy, um, it's a real good point, man. I do, I do wonder about the, the morale, Alex, because there's a few things about Ferrari that make me think, you know, it's either desperate or they've kind of mentally given into, yes, we're trying really hard, but it's going to go wrong. And you look at Leclerc coming from behind against Lance Stroll there and, and doing a move that was almost guaranteed to get him taken out of the race. It's almost like, well, if, if it's going to go wrong, it may as well go really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's also got a lot to do with the fact that neither driver are enjoying driving this car at the moment. Mm. Last year, they had a very nice car to drive that started off very, very fast yeah. and gradually got slower. And now they have a car that's not very fast and not nice to drive. And I think the drivers are having to overcompensate with aggression. And unfortunately, when you try and do that, especially when Charlotte Claire doesn't have the best reputation for not being crashy, no, um, he's really it's crashy. not going to be a good recipe. And I actually think because of that, I think Carlos, despite the third, 12th, 11th restart, whatever it was, when he took out <laughs> Fernando, um, he's the less crashy of the two drivers. So I actually think Carlos might end up being the better of um, Charles this year. Whoa, whoa. I think I, I agree with Stuffy and I think Charles wants out of Ferrari. But what a choice. If you're Ferrari, right, who do you back now? The guy who just is just far too far on the edge like Leclerc that's always been the criticism isn't it like does he have the most Friday free practice crashes of any top team driver it's got to be up there and he's just sorry no I don't think that's the stat but what is a stat was last year um Max Verstappen had more wins than when Charles Leclerc was on pole than Charles Leclerc had wins when he was on pole yeah stuffy yeah I don't think Carlos Sainz is holding face uh, or saving face a little bit more in front of the media than Charles Leclerc. Um, Carlos Sainz is, is kind of towing the PR line. Yeah, we know we're not as quick, but we're plugging away. We're, we're trying to do well. Maybe that's because he, he can see internally that things are maybe more heading support-wise into his direction. Whereas Charles, even in qualifying, he went, yeah, uh, I got a toe from Carlos and I still qualify behind him. Yeah, really good, isn't it? Like, it's just... There is not good morale in that team. And even though Fred Vassour has, has come in, obviously he's taken over Bonotto's kind of car and team. Um, he's got he's got work on his hands to try and keep Leclerc at Ferrari. I mean, who knows where he could even go, but who wouldn't want to take a Charles Leclerc? Um, 
Oh yeah, no, he's he's not going to be uh, he's not going to be short of options, I'm sure. But Morgan in live chat, Matt just said there's something to be said for quiet quitting. Have you have you heard that phenomenon in like modern yeah. business, quiet quitting, where you just do the bare minimum to get through and just pick up your check because mentally you've checked out. I, I'm not how, sure that that's inaccurate. We've all been there. <laughs> how how dare it. those employees just simply do the job they're contracted for and nothing mm. else for free? But but darn them. But for Ferrari. For both those drivers, they saw this as a potentially championship-challenging season where their rival was potentially their, their biggest rival, and it's not worked out like that at all. They're really fighting for seventh and eighth, and I think they're going to be fighting for seventh and eighth for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't know about that. Just Well, I, w- I will tell you a story. I'm oh, my Russell God, Hardy, how long is it? I, I will take it that we will put on our tinfoil hats and say that he just didn't really try that hard to get out because he just couldn't handle how bad the Ferrari is and watches his teammate, Carlos Sainz, get pitted early, shunted back to 11th, and then in the car that he thinks is no good, drive his way all the way to a podium that was only denied because the FIA have some sort of super secret agreement with Aston Martin we don't yet know about. Okay. I'm saying the Ferrari with no aerodynamic, with basically no aerodynamic updates was a reasonably competitive car. And importantly, in the race, he didn't see Carlos Sainz lose his tires 10 laps from the end and fall off the pace. Did we? They've made progress with this. They're going to make more progress with this. And, um, you know, I, I, I think there's something to be said for Sainz maybe not being as fast as Leclerc. But this may be a season where his consistency advantages him a lot. Stuffy, the man with the golden gear shift panels. What's your take? Orange. Oh, they're orange. orange. Okay. Oh, you colour blind. Um, I think there might be, I, I really like Charles Leclerc, but I think there might be a little bit of a spoiled attitude with him, thinking he should be fighting for a world championship. He knows he's as fast as Max Verstappen is. Lewis Hamilton, he wants to be fighting for a championship and wins. He's at a point in his career now where he's been at Ferrari for a good few years. Maybe there's a little bit of entitlement there that podiums aren't good enough for him because mm-hmm. he's in a car that can't win the championship. So what is what is kind of the point? It's, it's as they say, it's win at all costs type attitude. We have kind of win all, been win all bin. Of, yeah, I think so. And I think that's kind of, what it is at the moment and i think there's a little bit of like i should have had an opportunity to win the championship last year and fight for it i didn't because a number of strategy mm. calls don't think they had the car anyway and then this yeah. year he's turned up and he's absolutely nowhere and he's sitting there watching max go off into the distance and already thinking he's hurting why he's hurting yeah i think he's hurting yeah. and i think he's just thinking why am i even turning up what's the mm. point i agree uh alex I need to clarify a little bit on Stuffy's point about Charles Leclerc being as fast as Max and Lewis. The problem is, is on a single lap, probably, maybe definitely as fast as Lewis mm. and, um, and and Max. Yeah. But I think over the course of a race, he's not he's not disciplined enough. Oh yeah. He makes too many he makes that's too many mistakes. That's the one. Yes. Um, and that's the difference between being a fast racing driver and a good racing driver. But as Wes states in the chat, um, the good news for Charlotte Claire is the next race is Baku, where he never has any problems. <laughs> Into the castle. I am stupid. Okay, so, yes, um, we, are, we were, we as well-wishers to Charles Leclerc, which I actually I think most people are. He's a very likable guy. But, you know, most people were hoping that he would have come through the phase that Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen have both been through where they were barging into everyone and making a lot of mistakes. 
Charles Leclerc is, is far enough along the line now that we do want consistency. And one driver that I think is delivering consistency is George Russell. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So my personal fan allegiances, which I love to bear here on Miss Apex podcast, do not really stretch to George Russell. My fan tingle has not been set off. By, by Mr. Russell. And I don't see myself particularly supporting him in the way that I support Lewis Hamilton or Sergio Perez. However, I don't even, by the way, think that he's on a level with uh, with Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, say, in that raw top, top tier. But what is impressing me about George Russell is the drumbeat consistency that he is delivering what he has. And that might be enough in and of itself to be threatening. And what I like about that, what that's setting off in me, in my fan admiration bones, is that it is reflective of an ethic, of a, a work ethic. And I don't think you can deliver that consistency if you don't go about your trade well. And I can respect that, Alex. I think George Russell is going about his trade well. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm a big um, um, advocate of George ever since he was in the Williams and doing the things that he was doing I could see that star quality he's not and he's not the finished article yet he is brilliant he is consistent as you said the drumbeat mm. he is matching his seven-time record-breaking world champion teammate in Lewis Hamilton um, and he's doing the job that he absolutely should be doing and what's also great is his his radio comments are on the point, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Everything he says, okay, sometimes comes across a bit irate, but they're racing. I have no issue with that. No, but, but he's very much looking with... after, looking out for, for Camp Russell. Absolutely. Yeah. He's looking after number one. Mm. And that's what they're all doing. Um, you know, like earlier in the race when um, they were telling him to 
um, preserve the tires while Lewis Hamilton is attacking him. And he's like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to preserve while my teammate is attacking me? Yeah, Which yeah. is the right oh, thing to on. do. But Alex, was... Alex, also, like, did he really think that at the beginning phase of a race in the first five laps that Lewis Hamilton wasn't going to oh, no, try and get past that's, him? That's him making a point to the yeah. team, though, which is stop telling me what to do while you're obviously not telling the dude behind me to to back off. Um, and I think, you know, even but even after the call that ended up being the wrong call for the pit stop, he still praised the team on actually that call what at the time was the right Ooh. call to make. And it's the call he wanted to be made. And I, I love his positivity and his assertion and his not wanting to blame anybody. That kid is an absolute star of now and a greater star of the future. So if we're going to pinpoint where Russell really has the advantage over Lewis, I'm going to say it's, on the radio with his engineer, he got Lewis's yeah. move ahead filibustered at Saudi Arabia, and he was immediately on it. The team tell him once he's ahead of Lewis, he needs to manage his tires. Lewis is close to him, and he yells at them, even though he knows that that, that there's no way they're going to tell Lewis not to take the position if he has it. But I am going to disagree with you about something equally important, which is that you said the team made the wrong call for him to put him on those hard tires. No, really? That was that's, that's absolute, not, not only was that the right call for I didn't say it was the wrong Russell. call, I said it was the right call. Oh, you might be getting confused with me earlier in the day, Matt, saying that I thought no, it no, was the, the wrong call. The call to pit him under the safety, under the Albon crash, and those tyres was the correct call. I don't think it so. Was. What? No, no, okay. Fine. Absolutely. It was a winning, it was a race winning call. Wait, no, I don't think it was. Because, yes. because if you, under the safety car, can get onto the fresher set of the next tyre that everyone's going to be on, but a little bit early, and get the free stop... And everybody else is on a a softer tire that is degrading, then that's the right call. But those mediums would have lasted half a race distance, and by the time he'd got through Alonso, Signs, and all the rest, he was going to be a pit stop behind anyway. And and then the the, the, the leaders would have pitted for their hards, even if they were behind Russell, they'd have been on fresh tires. I don't think it was a race winning strategy because nobody was beating Max Verstappen today, but it was definitely a podium getting strategy. All right, let's talk. No. Let's talk. No, no, you've got that look on your face like you're going to prove me wrong. Not only are we going to talk, I'm going to talk about numbers. Oh, I love this. You've made me so happy, Spanners. Thank you. Um, No, let's discuss it for reals. Uh, They put Russell onto the hard tires. Now, we saw Ocon do this under the the first um, safety car for Leclerc. And they thought they would have fourth or fifth out of it at the end of the race, which is interesting because Gasly was ahead, but they gave Ocon the preferred strategy. So if I was Gasly, I might want to have a word about that. And I can understand your concern, Spanners, because after all, right after Russell pitted, so did Signs. And anytime I'm doing the same thing as Ferrari strategy department, <laughs> I might have some questions about it. Oh, that's too mean. That's too mean. Matt just, it, at MrApex.net. Low-hanging fruit. I cannot resist. But let's talk about it. When we restarted the race after the um, Albin red flag, we had Lewis on the hard tire and we had Verstappen on the hard tire and they did not basically, they didn't take those tires off until the next red flag and they would have gone to the end of the race on them as all the cars could have done as Albin proved last year in a Williams with no downforce. This tire at this circuit will do a whole race distance without a problem, unless you're Kevin Magnuson and you keep on hitting that ripple strip. And even then it's your wheel that failed, not your tire. And I looked at the time loss at the, the biggest time loss I could identify by Lewis 
to Max once Max got by him because the Mercedes is terrible at warming up those hard tires. And from a standing start, it was inevitably going to happen. Russell was similar pace, quicker actually, but, you know, in, in the 23s instead of 22s. I looked at his pace. The farthest back he was ever from Max was 11 seconds. Time gained under that pit stop, uh, time saved under the pit stop was about 14 seconds. So when I tell you it was a potential race winning strategy based on the best evidence we can find from the actual race that happened. Mm. Yeah. Russell, Russell would have had easily three to four seconds over Max at the end of the race. No, my caveat you, that to that has no. to be the fact that we know no full well that Verstappen wasn't pushing at, yeah. at his full race potential. And we know even Hamilton wasn't. We know Alonso wasn't. Max cruised past Lewis, got a two second gap in half a second, it felt yeah. like. Um, and was instantly managing again. And he slowly and slowly eked the gap out. If he needed, if the team told him, right, you need to pick the pace up because George is going to come up the pit lane ahead of you, he'd have gone a second and a half a lot quicker because he showed it on multiple occasions that he could go a second and a half quicker. Matt, come back on that. Not for a whole race distance, number one. And number two, let's not forget, Max drove himself off the circuit trying to go faster. Don't even pretend to me for a second. He was texting his dad, I understand. (laughs) That all of the cars, because of when they changed the tire under the red flag, were engaged in a serious game of tire and resource management to make the end of the race. So when I compare these numbers... All the teams were under exactly the same resource restriction to get to the end. And that's why I think they're valid. I I still don't think they had any opportunity of winning that race today. Lewis even said that in the post-race interviews as well. But I think going back to George Russell and and his consistency, he seems to just have a better grip on this new regulation of cars compared to Lewis. Lewis even said at Saudi Arabia... But, oh, George had a lucked out into a better setup. Oh, he, he didn't did, say that. He didn't quite say that. It, it was okay. Something he along said. Those he lines said I'm if, if, if I'd have gone with George's setup, that I would have done better. Like we, we okay. went in different directions. Was, His was the right one. He was insinuating that George had a better setup than him. Yes. Well, George consistently, by the sounds of it, is uh, got a better grip on that car, as you've referred to mm. relationship with his engineers just seems to have a better handle on these new regulation cars than I think Lewis has. And I think Lewis has taken, is taking a lot more time to get up to speed with them compared to George. Before, Whether that will correlate in raw pace, I don't know. But in the day, you, you still need to finish. And, well, of course, George didn't do that today because his engine went pop. But it's his consistency and his will-to-will that we've seen has been impressive since he's been in Mercedes, I think. Alex, we shouldn't get carried away, should we? Because... There was a lot made that George Russell qualified ahead of Lewis Hamilton, but it was by half a tenth. Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that Lewis has been struggling with is, in his words, feeling the rear. And what that means is, is when the rear is coming round or the rear is moving, um, that you know what it's going to do. And if mm. you've ever watched Lewis Hamilton in the previous seasons, the way he drives his car is he gets it on the nose and then deals with whatever the rear gives him as he's going through a corner. If you can't feel that, it takes away all your confidence. And I've said this millions of times, which is if you haven't got confidence, you yeah. can't go quickly. Well, you drive with and your butt in go-karts, isn't it? You're a, butt, you're a butt driver. I'm a butt driver. Mm. It's exactly what, it's what causes me an issue in simulators because I lose that element of feeling and I lose that, um, that feel, which, which loses me time. 
in, in, in a sim in a sim but with lewis what you've also got is they've moved their car is further forward as in the driving position for where the driver is is further forward than some of the other cars and that again i think is hurting the balance of what lewis likes to drive to and he is having to compromise himself to drive this car no i tell you but, what but yeah, we're driving. We're talking a lot about butts and driving butts. But, <laughs> Alex, I still George think... dealing with it better than Lewis. Yeah, at the moment, and perhaps, you know, Lewis is being a bit peakier because he's looking for that for that ultimate Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton-type level. Whereas George Russell is already at the level he wants to be driving at. I still feel like if I'm going to put money on, if I had to put my mortgage on which of those drivers is going to perform better and who's going to be the fastest overall driver, I'm still hard-pushed. To say anything but Lewis Hamilton is the the faster driver of that pairing and will finish ahead in the driver standings. You have two very different driving styles between the two of them. George Russell is a bit like a Jensen Button driving style. He's super, super butter smooth. Doesn't doesn't make too many hard, um, aggressive movements on the wheel, but they much. He's like Jensen Button 7.0. He's that much better than Jensen Button ever was. Um and Lewis is still that aggressive, a bit more like Max. I mean, again, I, I would love to see the prospect of Lewis and Max in that Red Bull together because I think they have very similar driving styles. I also, you know, I try to pride myself on I'm a 42-year-old professional presenter, but all I'm thinking right now is, you know when the flames were coming out of George Russell's car? That looks so cool. It looked like a rocket ship. Max Verstappen. Okay, here on Mistake Apex Podcast, and me in particular, I have a, somewhat of a reputation as, as always going after Max Verstappen. And I, I think carefully about that. And I think I've been quite critical about Red Bull. Obviously, you know how I feel about Abu Dhabi. But none of, none of those accusations, none of those uh, debates really came down to Max Verstappen. Even with his racing standards, I always felt that was down to the stewards. And, and I've said, if you're going to drive... You know, against Max Verstappen, and he's getting away with that, and it's not being penalised. That means that is how racing is done best. And I said everyone needs to to turn up and and race like Max Verstappen and push people out to the edge, push the limits of what you can do, ask for forgiveness rather than permission. So I've not really been critical of his driving style. If I've ever been critical of anything, it's been how it's been policed. Definitely have been critical of uh, Red Bull. Definitely have been uh, critical. Of, of the way, you know, things were managed and decisions within Formula One that perhaps have gone his way. All I'm asking for here is a bit of leniency when I say this was a bad Max Verstappen performance. And that seems like a really weird thing to say about the driver that won somewhat at a canter. So I'm going to look around my panel and see who might be disagreeing with me. Is Alex Van Gene disagreeing with me? Max Verstappen had a bad race, a bad weekend. If we are quantifying it by the fact that he had one tiny little trip onto the no, grass. No, it's more than that. He had two terrible restarts. He got outraced and outmuscled by Lewis Hamilton. That clearly got into his head. He had an excursion on the penultimate lap. No. Sorry. Gone. I, <laughs> I said no out of instinct. I wasn't trying to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. The as Max said, through the first that first lap, he had more to lose than the two guys coming through. They had nothing to lose and they lobbed the cars at him. Yeah, and that's what Hamilton said in his dominant period as well. And he just tried to survive. And I do not blame Max for not getting his elbows out because he knows they have incredible pace in general 
and a DRS advantage that even against other cars with DRS, they're gaining about two and a half tenths with this triple quadruple super DRS that they've got. Um, so he was like, if they're ahead of me, I can just get straight past them. So I, I don't call that a weakness on Max's race. I actually call that a strength protecting which is protecting himself okay he had the off which is very weird but he had the off but it's okay. a very weird so i'm just gonna i'm gonna finish my list before stuffy Go gets on, in sorry. so out i'm gonna stick with out muscled by russell at the start by hamilton a little bit later on so badly twice off the line did he start uh those uh those those um those re- those starts and restarts the off into the penultimate turn and in the very final restart incredibly lucky because he actually jumped the start, but just didn't jump it by quite enough to trigger a false start. Stuffy, please tell me that I'm not going mad. This wasn't a good performance. I, I, when he wins with a dominant car, I look for the things he did well. But today, the car dragged Max Verstappen to the win. I get what your sense, man, is because you have to look at it from an isolated perspective of just Max Verstappen. We know mm. that that car is easy to cook his car on the grid, but throughout the weekends, he struggled with the car. Mm. It was very, it was very snappy. He took it for the gravel. I think a couple of times he obviously had a lockup today. I mean, I can, I can only think of the spin in Hungary last year of him making a mistake yeah. pretty much in the last year and a half. Um, and, for for his for Max Verstappen's standards, yeah, it wasn't his smoothest race weekend as a whole. I think though, yes, he did get outmuscled by George, and he did have and Lewis, and he did have some bad starts. And race, he did have an off. Bad starts, and he did have yeah. a, where's the where's the but in but, all of this? You're just listing all the things he did wrong. Well, I'm saying, but he does have the quickest car out on track and, he's and he can drive only real yeah. comp- he's yeah. only real competitor this season unless something drastically happens throughout the year and everyone catches up is Perez who was starting from the pit lane so he knew with the DRS with how powerful it is and four DRS zones that he was gonna at some point overtake the Mercedes so he was playing the long game it was smart from him but it wasn't a flawless Max Verstappen performance by his standards from what we from what we used to really over the past year and a half this is a terrible show for me. I'm defending all the people I don't like um, and teams I don't like. But with regards to Red Bull, I think the car just isn't very quick off the line. They've had oh, both okay. of their drivers have had poor starts all season. Uh, Perez and had poor starts since like 2006. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> but, yeah, but as far as I'm concerned, when the starts are that poor consistently, I put that down to the car. And the Merc, on the contrary even last season, has had very, very good starts. So I'm not going to put slightly mediocre starts down as a Max Verstappen fault. I think the only real fault Max made this this weekend was his little off at, at, at the penultimate corner. And I'll forgive him that because he was probably bored. What, what about nearly stuffing it on the final restart? Because that was so close. Like that's, that's, that's on par nearly with the break magic error from Hamilton. That could have thrown away a win. Easy. It was a bit wide, but he ca- he captured it and it was fine. <laughs> okay, Matt. Well, I I want to point out that everyone's talking about this really fast car, but it's a really fast car with a fragile gearbox, which might explain why the starts are not particularly lightning, because that does put a lot of stress on the old gearbox when you drop the clutch. 
and the downshifts that are causing him trouble. And let's not forget that Perez only started at the back because he had some sort of car mm. trouble yesterday they weren't able to fix. The idea that this car is bulletproof and super reliable continues to show itself. So in some ways, I would make the opposite argument. I think it was kind of Max dragging this car to the wind with the aid of some flags that really helped him out a lot from a, from a strategy point of view because he didn't have Perez as his rear gunner. He had both Mercedes to deal with. And, um, you know, so that argument can be made. But the flip side is you could look at the job Perez did, where he finishes fifth, which is three spots higher than they thought he would get. And you could still argue that, well, you know, maybe Perez still did a better job with a very fast but not entirely reliable or consistent car in the race. Okay, but we can at least agree that Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso and Max Verstappen in equal cars in a 2021 type scenario the things Max got wrong today was enough to, to lose the race multiple times over. Absolutely. Oh, okay. There you go. That's, that's all I'm saying. Stuffy. I think just lastly, Melbourne has never been, or Albert Park has never been a great track for Max. He's always had a lot of spins, a lot of issues there, lockups. It's even as good as these drivers are, as Alex said earlier, if you don't have confidence, then you're not going to perform to the best of your ability. And especially in these cars, like you need to be fully on it. And I think this weekend as a whole, he just struggled. Um, but that car is just so efficient with the DRS and in a straight line that it, no other car passes anyone in the DRS as quick as that Red Bull. And he would have easily passed the Mercedes um, at any point during the race. As we head into the midfield, let me take this opportunity to point on the YouTube at Stuffy's face. Scott Stuffy Tuffy is a YouTuber, has one of the best iRacing streams out there, Stuffy, up to 11,000 uh, subscribers, near enough, and, and that mm -hmm. still isn't enough. You have such a, a relaxed style. It baffles me how you can stream with your VR headset on, commentate on what you're doing. And, and the most impressive thing is when you get launched, as happens uh, inevitably on an iRacing, sim racing lobby, you just keep your cool. And I just, I would love to do what you do, but I know that my flash to bang is so short that it would just become a rage channel. Yeah, it's through plenty years of experience of breaking <laughs> golf clubs when oh, I was growing right. up. Um, so yes, I've... Uh, my my anger years are behind me and now i kind of just accept it for what it is and um, so, uh, yeah. i i would recommend people go and watch your stream the links uh, will be in the show notes below just because of the way you talk through uh, you know you have got pace but it's not i don't think it's unfair to say you're not alien pace when it comes yep. to just raw lap time but it's the way you talk about navigating the field the wheel-to-wheel -wheel decisions the tactics in the race that's why i tune in yeah i, I love it I, we do um i racing in particular they do 100 percent length races uh that run in conjunction with the real f1 calendar and i love it i love working out the strategy side of things and yeah it's uh it's, it's good fun give my own opinions on <laughs> all things sim racing and f1 as well um so yeah if, if you're interested head on over and uh drop a subscribe and like me you are both blessed and cursed with a massive ragdoll kitten uh which interrupts <laughs> your stream frequently and features there as well uh stuffy the the midfield is it actually a good thing that Mercedes, uh, McLaren can celebrate those points 
or are we damning them with faint praise by just throwing them a bone of going, oh, they've done very well to slightly not suck as bad? No, I think it was definitely warranted today. They're clearly not where they want to be. Um, that's quite obvious. But considering how terrible they was in Bahrain, they've they've made progressions in such a short amount of time. And Australia, Lando Norris was holding off Perez for quite a considerable amount of laps yeah. on raw pace alone. So there is pace in that McLaren. Lando Norris said after the um, after the race that. Clearly, they've got an issue over a single lap. They're, they're, they're getting themselves out of position in qualifying and then having to fight their way through the midfield. And that's really where they're struggling. But I, I think Piastri was kind of... I don't think he would have got points without the final red flag. Ocon was too far ahead. But Lando was definitely on for points. And do you know what? They lucked out with that restart at the end and yeah, got some good and well-deserved points, in my opinion. Yeah, the car isn't the disaster entirely it's been made out to be but it's pretty clear if you look at top speeds and stuff like that it's carrying a lot of very draggy downforce and is it really competitive with alpine or ferrari or mercedes or aston or red bull so they're not where they had planned to be but as they have often done they have taken advantage of actual circumstances on the ground Mm. and made the absolute best out of them. And that is something they've always been good at and continue to be good at. You made that statement there. It's not the disaster it's been made out to be. Yes or no, that is currently the sixth best car on the grid. Who are you saying? McLaren. Above it, Alpine, Alpine, Alpine. Ferrari, and then the top three. So they're they're the sixth best car. Easily they're the sixth. Disaster. So that it is the disaster that they're making it out to be. Sixth or below, that's a disaster for McLaren. I'm frankly fed up of people throwing McLaren credit for, for not being last. Is, is that sixth, what we're doing? Sixth best car means they're not in the points every race. Yeah. That's a disaster yeah. for a team that Absolutely. has all the facilities. Martin Brundle once said about McLaren, he said, you go to McLaren, you go to MTC, you look at the facilities that they have, and you can't understand why they don't win every single race. They have the best facilities of the entire paddock and they cannot make a race winning car. Sorry, Matt. You know how I don't like to pick a fight with you or ever disagree with you over anything. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. We always are just chums <laughs> and friendly and say the same thing. Think with a single mind we do. Yeah. And that's only on the show. If people knew how much we disagreed on other stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, Alex, Gene Z, Van Gene, you also stream occasionally. And, uh, I miss the days when you were streaming like shooty gun games on VR and uh, and your yeah and your flight sims. Um, the flight sims are probably coming back because I've fallen back in love with that. The shooty stuff, well, the game we used to play onward is fallen is out it? of the oh. backside and it went and died. So uh, that wasn't as good. That's good. I, I, keep... I, I didn't like everybody seeing squaddy spanners anyway in in full <laughs> VR mode. I actually made a video the other day of me flying. Um, an F-18 and doing air-to-air refueling for the first time. Ah. It was fun. Um, but yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm trying to get into some more streams. The thing I'm doing the most yeah. at the moment is I'm making liveries for people ah, uh, yes. on, on iRacing, which I'm really enjoying doing, especially um, I get some challenging ones where I don't particularly like the <laughs> idea that I've been given, yeah. but I have to go to their brief. I recently made a car that looked like a shark. I saw. I re- and I recently made one uh, today, made one with lots of pastel colours, which I'm not a big fan of. But like the, I went to the brief and yeah. the customer's happy. That's the important yeah, part. Pastel so like BWT livery. Yeah. If you do want an iRacing livery, either Twitter or Discord or 
any other places. Just search for my name, you'll find me somewhere. Feedback at mistapex.net. I'll forward that to Alex and we'll make sure the link to your streaming services is below. Alex, just make sure you get that to Alex, uh, to Matt and it'll appear magically in everyone's show notes. Mm. But a little bit of hope for Haas. Now, Haas is a team where we can say, if you're not last, you're doing well. And as a fan of Kevin Magnussen, I, I wish it was the other car that seemed to be doing well, but it is Hulkenberg that is taking this Haas by the reins and seemingly doing well. Hulk has surprised me, yes, to say the least, because mm. I thought Kevin would kick. I did. Ass. I thought it was going to um, be clear daylight between them. I thought I thought Hulk would be consistent and just bring the car home, but bring the car home a few places and in qualifying a few tenths off of K-Mag. But that's not the point. Maybe K-Mag is feeling the pressure and Hulkenberg has just slotted himself into that car, is perfectly comfortable and has gone about his job of um, only ever finishing at an absolute maximum <laughs> fourth. of fourth because he signed the deal with the devil yeah. and is never allowed a podium. You will be um, handsome and rich and you will be covered in glory and loved around the world, but you shall never grace the podium. And that happened today. He very easily could have had a podium today. Oh my goodness. The gods decided. The curse. No, it's you, real. You still have this deal. I'm not wrong. The curse is real. Stuffy. I have to issue a heartfelt apology to Nico Hulkenberg because <laughs> okay. when it was trending Hulkenback, I was thinking, no, there's got to mm-hmm. be someone else for Haas. Yes, it was and not an exciting option. Was it? No, we've seen him as a super sub, and I think he'd be given plenty of opportunities in, to prove himself. But my God, he's he's taken that horse. I was going to say dragged, but he hasn't dragged that car. He's normaled that it. He's normaled he's, it. He's normaled it into mm. Q3, three races in a row now, and he finished P7 today. Um, he's doing a great job for him. And look, Magnussen, maybe the hype of him giving that, being given that extra shot and having um, not as good as a teammate as Mick mm-hmm. Schumacher yeah, yeah. is having a mental effect on him this year. Um, who knows? I mean, how different is that Haas compared to last year? Is it that different enough for him to struggle with driving style? I don't know. A lot of it could come down to just mentally and being shocked and putting more pressure on himself and making more mistakes. But yeah, he was he was the last of the finishes today. Um, so very different um results for Hulkenberg and yeah. and Magnussen. Well see Matt, I was gonna try and blame it on Magnussen being a dad, but I, I just Googled it. Hulkenberg also has made the terrible decision to uh, have children. Uh, yeah, but I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, why do I feel like I'm being gaslit by the entire panel? So I just took advantage of my computer access. And okay, okay. of the three races we've had so far, how many races has Hulkenberg finished ahead of Magnuson? All of them. He's been amazing and incredible. Don't Let ruin the narrative. One. Yeah, the, the, the Australian Grand Prix. Only okay. one. Oh, okay, okay. So, so what we're seeing is Hulkenberg doing incredibly well. And qualifying, and then essentially uh, driving backwards till Magnuson passes him in the race. So I wouldn't write off K-Mag just yet. And he did admit he made a mistake in qualifying yesterday, which, yeah, we're all human. So I, I understand these things can happen. At least his mistake wasn't driving the car into a wall and causing $1.5 million in damage. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm prepared to admit Hulkenberg's doing quite well for himself. But okay. I don't think, I don't think he's really showing magnuson his heels in the way that a lot of people assume because he's doing so well in qualifying my 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 question is is how long is it going to take for steiner to change his allegiance from his prodigal son k 
Kevin Magnussen to Nico Hulkenberg? Because we know Gunther Steiner always kind of generally has his favourites. I think Magnussen was always kind of the, the preferred one over Grosjean. And he's come back and we've all had our opinions on Gunther Steiner with Drive to Survive. I don't think particularly he comes across too well um, mm. and gets a bit of a buyer really for being a personality. But yeah, I'm intrigued to see how that dynamic continues or how it plays out um, over the course of the season if if Hulkenberg continues to outperform Magnussen, at least in qualifying. And if he's able to convert that, as yeah. you say, Matt, um, into results, yeah, that'd be... A dynamic to keep keep an eye on, I think. I don't know what you mean. Char- charismatic individuals that go around shouting and swearing at their staff. How, how is that? How is that not appealing and uh, <laughs> inspirational? So, uh, Matt and then Alex. I will answer your question happily. It will take exactly one session with the Netflix producers for him to change his allegiance. That's my answer. <laughs> And Alex passes on that. Sorry for that pause. It's, for the, the, it's the second time Matt's nicked basically I what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And I was unprepared. I was pouring myself some refreshment. But they, these are the things that make sense when you watch on video. And I would urge you, if you're an audio listener, just come and check out the video production every now and then. Um, I know some people who drop into the live stream and then catch the rest on the podcast player. And if you're a video viewer, do make sure you subscribe to us on your podcast app. And uh, by the way, it really, really helps us if you just set it to auto-download. So whenever we upload an episode, it gets downloaded to your phone straight away, ready for you. That helps us massively in the charts because the charts favour it when people download it all at the same time. So if you're subscribed, even if you listen to it on Tuesday, if you get it downloaded into your podcast app with an auto-download 2 a.m. Sunday night, you can set it to. That really helps us pop up and appear in the charts. And if you want to help us even further... Tell your friends to check out Missed Apex podcast by going to mistapex.net. That will give them the options to, with one click, listen to the video or audio. And if you think we really are doing a super smashing job, then check the show notes for our Patreon link, patreon.com forward slash Apex For $1.99 a month, you can have an ad-free feed and check out our pre-race Friday patron-only previews where we tangent a little bit, go off on one, talk about uh, what we thought of Friday practice, make some predictions for the race. And also we waffle a little bit about our lives. And, you know, I, I talked about my Forrest Gump moment where I just went on a, a three and a half hour expedition off the bat. If that's the kind of worse waffle content you like, then maybe think about checking out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. But now it's time for the awards. An Australian Grand Prix that was super thrilling to start with and then very tactical and engaging, but was completely overawed and completely overshadowed by once again the FIA just twisting themselves up in knots by just avoiding just a simple sporting result. I operate on the value on the acronym KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Sometimes the simplest things are the best. If your whole package is dependent on a killer last lap, I'm not sure you have a good package. If your whole event over the course of the weekend cannot withstand just finishing normally under a safety car period, if that happens to happen, and it doesn't happen often, one in 10 races, a couple of times a season, the safety car will happen to coincide with the end of the race. If that ruins your product, 
look at the rest of the product because a two lap sprint race red flag isn't going to save this sport. But I enjoyed my Australian Grand Prix weekend. I was kind of sleepy. So I, I did wish that the last 10 laps didn't take an hour. But apart from that, I had fun. I hope you had fun too. Let's give out our awards. The first one is the Good Thing Award. Okay, so we start off super positive. Let's start with you, Matt. We never start with you. At MattPT55 on Twitter. Links to your show notes, uh, to your social media is also in the show notes because you do the show notes. So you yeah. make sure yours are at the top in bold. And then in tiny letters, it says also follow Spanners at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Even though I'm the best one, I get second billing. But I'll go to you, I'll go to you first. Gaslighting me all the way home. No, I appreciate that. I'm the victim here. I'm the victim. Uh, who was your thing of the weekend this weekend? Oh, my goodness. There's so many things to choose from. And, uh, all right, I, I'm, I'm just going to let out my Hamilton stand a bit. His <laughs> genuine excitement yes. over finishing second and yeah, yeah. driving the car like the way he did in the race. I think that that for me was kind of like a, it was a nice valedictory yeah. for him and guaranteed him a podium in this season, which makes it how many in a row? All of them. A whole all, lot. all of them in a row. But um, whole lot. also, though, he was really happy even after qualifying third. Like he knew, like, I'm in good shape for the race. I'm up for this. He was not phased by finishing slightly behind George Russell at all. Went about his business. I'm disappointed that we didn't really see a nice spicy Hamilton versus Russell thing play out. But I'm sure we're going to have that for another day because they are so closely matched on qualifying and race pace that even if Hamilton has the edge, he's going to have to be as consistent as Russell and less peaky to actually make that count. But yeah, today, yeah, I, second place, back on the podium. Yeah, that, there's going to be a lot of people happy with that. Alex? My thing of the weekend yes. um, was going to originally, was, I was originally looking forward to giving it to Albon because he'd done brilliantly through Ooh. qualifying and then binned it in the race. Yeah. So I can't have Albon because... He He's been thing. so upbeat, like, the whole season. Like, we're doing well. We're as good as Aston Martin. Stop looking at the cars in green. We've made the biggest step. We're amazing. Look at my hair. Isn't it great? I also thought Carlos Sainz and Gasly had brilliant races <laughs> and did really, really well. Oh. And I'm like, oh, they've done great. And then they both screw it up in the final, in the final stages. Mm. So... Then I was going to give it to Lewis Hamilton. But Matt, again, for the yeah. third time today, has stolen my thing. So yeah. all I'm going to say is it must mean, Matt, that great minds think alike, eh? Um, so what I'm actually going to give it to is to Ted Kravitz for the post-qualifying conversation where he went to town as he probably could have about why the hell Michael Bassey was in the... Um, was in the F1 paddock this weekend. He is obviously still really hurting and really I, believes that Abu Dhabi was an absolute fast, like, like yeah. most no, of no, us look, in this look, room look, look. do. I, he, I, I'm hurting. He said as much as he could without probably getting sacked. I'm hurting as well, but to be honest, my hurt has gone well away from Michael Massey as an individual. But I, but like I have to say, if I was Michael Massey, if that had happened to me, I probably would just keep my head down in the F1 paddock for a bit longer. And he, he was he was going around smiling and talking to people. Um, one guy on TikTok caught up with him 
and said, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. Do you, fan, do you fancy explaining yourself about oh, Abu Dhabi? And he just walked off away oh. from him. He goes, no, don't want to talk about it? At, oh, at okay. some point, at some point, though, just we'll say, like on a personal note, at some point, the individuals involved in that do have to be able to move in with their lives. So no one is is, is suggesting that Michael Massey has to go in like a forced exile. He can exile. move on with his life when he sits and does a tell or interview. Oh, yeah. oh, he then. signed an NDA, so he can't. I'm sure he signed an NDA. I'm sure he, he can't. So let, let's move on then from he's that. Have to not suffer, because that's the wrong word, but then he's going to have to deal with the flat. Stuffy, who's your thing of the weekend? My thing of the weekend is Max Verstappen complaining about Lewis Hamilton's overtake. Because, oh. Isn't that like he... the missed apex? This is meant it's to be the good No, no, because it was so good to see him complain, basically, <laughs> with exactly what he's done to people yeah, yeah. for years and years and years and actually lewis did nothing wrong because no, lewis left, left, space. left plenty yeah. of room max actually drifted out too far wide and thought lewis pushed him and it was just just nice to see that's all um but <laughs> you know what this is how so you've made lewis and plenty of other drivers feel since you've joined f1 um so yeah it was just and he still couldn't let it go after the race either which was just a bit like oh come on come on mate you, you seriously do have a bee in your bonnet about lewis um, and george's move was equally as aggressive mm. at turn one yeah it was he, equally as aggressive he didn't care about george he doesn't care about anyone else making a move on him it's only when lewis makes a move on him that he just gets really yeah. upset mm. but it was just it was just nice to see him moaning about it <laughs> and that there was actually Nothing wrong with the move whatsoever. But so that rule is only it. clarified because that is what I have called the Verstappen move for a long time. 100%. And before that, that was the Hamilton move, but Verstappen took it to another level. But but yeah, but surely Max Verstappen cannot complain about people pushing them wide. But he did what I said Rosberg should have done against Hamilton, which is hold your ground. If the inside car then clatters you whilst you remain on track, then yeah, you've got something to complain about. But the fact is... He just he stayed in the space that Hamilton left him, and Hamilton left him enough space. They both stayed on track. If he'd have wanted to keep all four wheels on the track and then let Hamilton hit him and gone, well, I stayed on track, that would have been another issue. Uh, oh, I guess I have to do uh, a thing of the weekend. Actually, I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to the fourth place that never was. So I'm going to give it to Yuki Snowder because I think, no, fifth place. I think he was up in fifth place. And although I think that driver lineup is starting to look a little bit weak, unless they get their, their their jog on. But also the car is looking really weak. And so it's kind of hard to tell. Without a, I'm a Sonoda fan, but without like a, you know, a, a Class A Supernova standard candle, like a Gasly or someone like that in there, where you know they're getting the best out of it, it's hard to tell whether that Alpha Tauri is as pish as it looks or whether... It is. Oh, it is. There's, no, okay. there's no benchmark driver though. Yeah. There? There's no benchmark driver, so it could be a combination of both. But that whole Alpha Tower package is looking like I see why it's for sale. I, I've been a very harsh critic, mm. as you guys well know, of Yuki Tsunoda, and this year is definitely a make or break year for him. But these first three races, I actually think he's done a very good yes, job. and that's he's yeah. been mm. he's that Alpha Tower is not a great car this year. It's probably the weakest package, I think, and the fact of it. He's always fighting for the points, these first yeah. three races. And- Unfortunately, he got just drawn into a fight today. Mm. At one point, I looked down, he was eighth position. I looked back and then up he was, and he was 12th. 14th. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was well, 14th. I was like, where's that, where's that come from? So he hasn't got the package. So points today, he finished 11th in the first two races, just outside the points. And 
closely fighting for the points as well. Yeah. And then this race, it was well-deserved, to be fair. So credit yeah. where it's due. If the kid continues yeah. the way he does, then. But the fact that he was briefly fifth, that's my that's my thing of the, wish, yes. of the weekend because I'm wishing him well. Now we get to all be a little bit negative with this award, which is oh, called... Oh, no, you missed <laughs> the apex. Okay, so here's where we go into full armchair fan mode and criticise people driving at 300 kilometres an hour and go, I reckon, I reckon I would have done better. So I'm going to get in quickly. Charles Leclerc gets my missed Apex award. Settle down. Settle down, Charles. I know it's a bad season, but just hunker down. Beat signs. Show what you can do. Show the world you're a world champion, potential driver. You're just lacking the car because we're not seeing that right now. Matt Trumpets, who missed the Apex for you? Oh, there are so many choices to be made here. But I will make the one that will get everybody angry, because after saying nice things about Gasly earlier, it's going to be really hard to ignore the fact that he quite literally missed the apex. Missed the corner. Missing Alonso's car, and then came back on track, put his teammate into the wall, and cost them double points in the race. And so, even though I know it wasn't intentional, and even though the rest of the race sort of makes up for it, yeah, that's kind of a big mistake for me. Van Jean, who missed the Apex for you? Uh, whoever's responsibility it was, or actually the entire um, mechanic team on Sergio Perez's car. Oh, yeah. That, lucky. that ruined anything for any... I mean, we haven't spoken about Perez at all. No, and, and in fact... Because that was, he um... had the most anonymous weekend possible. Exactly. Because he went off on the second corner... Uh, in qualifying yeah. because the car just wouldn't stop after having various issues during pr- practice three. He did a good job finding his way was through the field, yeah. but the team firmly let him down this week. Yeah. And I think it's because we've spoken a lot about Perez and his, you know, uh, quote unquote challenge to Max Verstappen after the race win last time out. And it was actually an active decision this week where we went, Perez's story is one of the least interesting stories this weekend, which is why we're not going to cover it. Uh, Stuffy, who missed the apex for you? Um, it's not actually any driver. It's the idiotic fans who, at the end of the race, decided to take the opportunity to get onto a still live track. So there, there was a number of them who climbed fences. I don't know how mm. they got through. They surrounded Hulkenberg's car as well. But there's images and videos of cars going past on their on their um close down lap i think it is uh cool down lap even so these cars are still on their cool downs lap going 100 miles an hour and it is we saw it obviously different scenario at silverstone a couple of years ago with protesters but these are actual fans who have taken the decision to yeah get onto a live track and have spoiled yeah. it for a minority yes. of a record crowd at australia and yeah, it's it's disgusting because a little, one day something bad is going to happen. It is, but look, as an eighties kid, I'm, I'm not excusing it at all. But like, I just remember scenes of you know people coming on track and swarming Mansell's big red five and being on track. It was it used to be an oddly normal thing. And like, as a Colchester United fan, you know one of the things you really looked forward to, like in a cup fight, in a cup game, or you know winning the uh, winning the FA Trophy in 1995. One of the best bits was like storming on, pushing past the stewards and celebrating with the players. So I understand 
Sorry, you're saying that Colchester have fans that actually came onto the pitch. Yes, loyal <laughs> fans, family enclosure, £3.50 a game, double championships, conference and FA trophy. You can't take that away from us. Um, uh, but yes, it's, it's, um, it's not acceptable in this day and age. And we are still trying to understand whether Uncle Steve, Amy and uh, our John O'Simone were amongst those people. Uh, Matt? Well, I just wanted to make the point that the promoters of the Australian Grand Prix have been called into investigation by the stewards. And just to make it slightly worse, the detail that Scott left out was that Hulkenberg's uh, car was displaying the red light, which means it potentially could electrocute anyone who touched it. And there were fans all the way down there by it. So this is a bigger and developing deal. Probably it will all get worked out in smoky back rooms as it usually does. But yeah, I'm not going to go wholeheartedly in blaming the fans if it was that easy for them to do the thing. Yeah. Look, yeah, go on. No, I was just saying, it, I think you, people still make that conscious decision whether there's an open gate, do you walk through it onto a live racetrack? Just yeah. a bit of common sense, wait until the cars have all gone past or the race is fit. Totally finished. Like Monza, Monza, they all they all flood onto the track, don't they? I'm all for that. I'm and I and I think that's something that I'm sad to see. Actually, that we don't see more of that Mm. storm in the track once the race is finished and everyone's around on the podium. That's an image that we don't see enough at enough tracks anymore. But this particular scenario, it could have ended very badly, and hopefully, there was some poor fan um, issues last year. Hopefully. That doesn't we seem hopefully we don't see more of that this year so yeah and that is the last race for a little while the chinese grand prix of course was uh, cancelled this year and uh, hopefully it's going to be back on the circuit next year because I, I do love that track but we have three non f1 race sundays until the next grand prix in baku so until round four for the azerbaijan grand prix uh, stay tuned to missed apex podcast we're going to go a little bit into off-season mode but we're going to try and bring you great content great guests we're going to do a possibly a pickup show for this grand prix next sunday and have a bit of a state of the nation and see where we feel f1 is at as well as bringing you people like mike caulfield i hope you really enjoyed mike caulfield and mark preston in our uh, midweek buffet that's the kind of content that we're trying to bring you uh, especially when there's there's no races on the schedule and I, i would say enjoy this pause a little bit because from here on in I think it's race to race. I think how, Matt, how many um, how many triple headers have we got coming up? About four. Um, sure, sounds good to me. <laughs> I, I don't actually know. That's not the kind of thing I pay attention to. But it's it's going to be a packed calendar once we get back to it. But until we see you again, follow my panel: Matt, two rumpets, Scott, Stuffy, Tuffy, and Alex Jeansy Van Jean. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. And for our live stream viewers and our patron listeners on the patron feed. Comment of the week. 
I'll tell you what, guys, there's a late entry that's just jumped into the Patreon live chat, yeah, which is Paula, <laughs> which is Paula, yep. who says, where's, where is it? I've lost it now. There's been so Shall much reaction it to you? it. A car that will electrocute a fan who is not supposed to be on the track is sort of self-policing. It's, it's a very grim, <laughs> but somewhat valid point. I think so. And we'll continue with Stuart Neal uh, going with, if this continues, Leclerc will grow a mullet. Okay, nobody got that. Fine. Um, right over everyone's head. Uh, we're going to go right now. Over everyone's head and then neatly down the back. Hey, there you go. It's a Bottas um, reference. Yes. Oh. Uh, Wes is in with Leclerc can still win this, which I thought was very topical. And Maria Kletos with, I think FIA needs Will Buxton to explain to them their own rule. Uh, Alex has got one. Um, Wes was on fire today, actually. Um, there was um, Gastly by Gasly as a potential show title. Um, Chris Fonseca, always Chris Fonseca, um, for the next race, Aston Martin get free respawns to their last <laughs> valid position when oh they go off the God, track. Oh, my God, that is a competitor. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's, oh, my God. It, did feel, it just felt like that because I was looking at it. And do you remember last week when I had my whole rant about, oh, see, Mercedes are the second best car, then they got given the podium back even though they did touch the thing with the thing. And then today, both their cars are off and you go, well, that's it then. Mercedes have overtaken them. And then at the click of a finger, they're restored to third and fourth after both being off. How does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Um, EJ had one as well, which is Leclerc did a stroll move on stroll. Okay, (laughs) fair. Matt? Uh, well, Chris Fonseca has just said to the FIA, it's not a three-week break. It's a very long red flag, and that would win. But we've had to roll the results back <laughs> to the second safety car line. Oh, it's got to be Paula. It's got to be that Paula And one. it is yeah. Pika Paula all the way home with a car that will electrocute a fan who is not supposed to be on track is sort of self-policing. Mistake X podcast does not endorse the electrocuting of fans nor wish for fans to be electrocuted. However, that was hilarious. Comment of the week. We're out of here. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.